0: She is sure. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. She is you. is sure. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is bold. She is you.
1: Hi everyone. This is Aaron Prather Stafford with the girls that create podcasts on Word of Mom Radio. We launched this show in 2023 to focus on parenting, creativity, and helping the next generation of creators become who they want to be. Season two is right around the corner, and today we're bringing you a bonus episode of insightful clips from season one. It cannot be stressed enough that a crucial part of being a parent or caregiver is remembering to take care of ourselves. We spoke with incredible guests throughout last year, many of whom shared their stories and insights on self-care and wellness. We're starting with Renee Trudeau, an internationally recognized transformational coach, speaker, and the author of two award-winning books. I asked Renee what are some of her favorite self-care practices.
2: So let me offer like maybe three things to start. I just, I did a a big workshop for a a huge global law firm and they were, we were starting off the new year and they were like, okay, you know, tell us we want the What are the most powerful things to help us, you know, rock our world and get more work done, the most powerful self-care practices? And I told them, you know, one of them is starting your day intentionally. So rather than, you know, looking at your phone first thing or rushing into just getting on, hopping on your computer or just kind of falling into the day, you might have to get up a little bit earlier. You might have to start to retrain your family. Um, This may feel really strange to you, but it is one of the most potent self-care practices, this idea of starting your day intentionally. So that might look like the check-in, it might look like a little bit of journaling, it might doing a little bit of stretching, maybe sharing, thinking about some things you're grateful for. It might be doing some breath work, like going and just sitting on the back porch for a few minutes and doing some breath work, but really thinking about how do I want to feel today how do I want to feel today? Like life is not just happening to me. I actually get to source myself and think about how do I want to enter my day. So starting your day intentionally would be one. Another one is I call this a quickie journaling. I love this, Erin. It's so simple. I keep journals in my car. I keep them in my purse. I have them everywhere. A lot of science behind what happens when we journal. So there's a lot of crossing the midline, left and right brain integration. So just three questions. You just have your, your journal and pen, about five minutes. How do I feel? What do I need? What do I want? What is my heart's desire? What do I want? We know that with women and mothers, we know that in the mental health field, we've studied this, that depression and anxiety are caused by a disconnect from our inner world, from what's going on here. So doing a simple journaling exercise like that, how do I feel, what do I need, what do I want, is actually like fertilizer for your inner world. And the more you do it, the more it becomes natural and the better it feels. And it's also something you can do with your kids. Absolutely, you can do this journaling question with them if you want. So that would be a second. And then a third would be, it sounds simple, but it's hard, slowing down. It's slowing down. I am noticing our pace right now. I would say it's It's not humane. I moved from the 10th largest city in the United States to the Blue Ridge Mountains. I'm in a little town of 7,500 up in the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. And I did not realize. So you know I'm self-care queen. I'm always doing all these practices. But I didn't realize, Erin, until I started going to the grocery store here or going to the post office, all of these things that became incredibly pleasurable because it's slower here. Like, it's just pure joy to go to the post office. They greet me by name. It's just, there's hard, hardly a line. And I just began to watch, and I'm now going into my third year here, my entire nervous system rewired. It rewired. And yes, I do go to big cities all the time for speaking and for my work, and you know, leading workshops and retreats and things like that. But I really noticed a, a jarring difference. So... What would it take for you to slow down? That would be the question I would say. What would it take for you to slow down? And I remember Jonah, my teacher, my son, he's my biggest teacher, and I remember when he was little, Aaron, he would say, Mama, slower is better. Slower is better. Slow down.
1: There's a connection between personal style and self-kindness. Our next guest did a great job of explaining the close ties. Erica Cartledge is the founder and CEO of Your Chic is Showing, whose purpose is to help clients elevate their style and build their confidence. question is how is, you know, being kind to yourself, how does that manifest in your wardrobe? Because it's real interesting. I've never really thought about those threads connecting, but in reading about your work, it becomes very apparent that it's so intertwined, and it's important to, as you were saying, acknowledge that. Sometimes women are really hard on themselves, and we do kind of use our wardrobe sometimes as a almost like either a a strange punishment in a sense, I feel when it should be something we should be celebrating and, and, and joyful about. Yeah,
3: absolutely. So I think when, first of all, women in general, we are not tied to ourselves, right? And think about the voice that you hear the most in any given day is your own. And I think I was reading somewhere that, like, a person has, call it, 20,000 thoughts in a day. And, like, 70% of those are negative thoughts. And so if you have 20,000 thoughts in a day, 70% of them are negative, and you talk to yourself the most, that's who gets the most negative thoughts and negative words. It's you. And so then how that manifests in your wardrobe is you look in a mirror and you go, oh, man, I got giggly arms, can't wear anything that sleeveless. Oh, man, I got this tummy, I got to get some baggy things and some black clothes to hide in, right? Oh, oh, if I wear dark colors, I'll look smaller and slimmer. I don't want to stand out. I can't wear a print. I, right? So the unkindness then manifests in what we wear, which then reflects how we show up. Because you're not showing up from a confident place. You're showing up from a place of I have to hide all of my flaws and I don't want anyone to see me, right? So the first thing I tell my clients to do is we have to say nice things to them. because what goes in is what comes and so I always give my clients an exercise. I say, anytime you walk past something where you see your reflection, so you're washing your hands in the restroom, you walk past the mirror, you walk past the window, say something nice to yourself because you're starting to reverse the negative thoughts and put positivity in you. And so when positivity goes in, that's what comes out. So instead of looking in the mirror and being like, oh man, my arms are really jiggly today. You're like, oh girl, your skin is glowing today. But, yeah, I was just really sick. Look at look, and you start saying nice things to yourself, which then changes what you wear and how you show up in the world. So I think that's really, really important. The other thing I, you know, try to get from my clients is I don't teach people how to hide. You look at my head, I'm in a neon yellow dress with a print on it. There's no hiding, right? But what we teach people to do, and what I help my clients do, is we teach people where we want them to look. So it's not that, I'm teaching you to hide your belly, what we're saying is, oh, we're going to pick a beautiful accessory so people can't help but look at your face and see your style. Oh, we're going to put on a great suit so people take in the entirety of your outfit instead of focusing on an area that you don't want them to focus on. And so I think that also helps change how you show up and soften ourselves to ourselves.
1: So we live in a really visual world and there's so many different Images and messaging that are coming our way and, you know, the girls we're raising coming their way. I would just love to hear your thoughts about how to walk girls and also our friends, too, because I think even though as women we are really aware of the filters and the airbrushing and the editing, we know all that, and yet we can still feel ourselves comparing. And it doesn't do any good. And I would just love to hear your how you kind of walk through approaching that and then how you also help your daughter do the same.
3: Yeah, there's so many messages. There's so many things that we see. Social media, TV, magazines, if people still read those, right? Uh, And I think what for my daughter has been important is showing her and surrounding her with all different definitions of beauty, but doing that in real life so that she can see People are real people. They're not these airbrushed, glossy, perfect images. And so I think for her that helps. I think for my friends, we always like it's funny because my husband's like, we all get together. It's like being on a sports team in the locker room because we all just hype each other up. Like you want, you're like, hey there, oh let's oh you look good, oh that's cute. And I think so much of that reminds people that they are beautiful in and of themselves, right where they are. The other thing I do, I do this on my social, but I also do this with my kids because even like I do that, they see my headshots, they see photos, they see my clients. Those those photos are edited, right? I let them in behind the scenes. So I will take them. So our son, sometimes our older one, that's a little guy, he'll come with me and he'll shoot me. And then I'll say, okay, let's look at how we're going to, why we're touching this up. And sometimes it's lighting is harsh or this thing or that thing. But I let them see. So that they can see nobody is showing up how they appear. And this is the process behind it. And this is what it looks like. And sometimes I intentionally show up without a face and without a makeup and all of that that again they can see this is real life and however you choose to be is perfect and i think that's really really important i think the other reason i do that is because people in our generation we saw the images and we didn't know they were photoshop and they were cropping here and they were doing this and they were doing that so we were sold a bill of goods that we are now trying to unpack as adults if i can teach the kids they're trying to sell you this bill of goods but let me show you the real deal by the time they're adults, they won't have to unpack that. And I think that's the difference is they have access to so much more information. Let me give them the information that will be helpful to them in navigating adulthood and hopefully take away some of that comparison, Yeah,
1: That's definitely yanking down the curtain and seeing the wizard, like in the Wizard of Oz. Like yeah, I yes, you know, understand like, this has all been... Uh... Constructed, construed, and all for a purpose to make this look the best. Right. The
3: yeah, that's such a good way to think about that. That is such a good way to think about that. It's just, yeah, you're pulling down the curtain on the lizard. And all. Also- our next clip comes
1: from my conversation with Bree Schmidt, founder of the Thinking Branch, a social media platform. Bree's mission is to create a space for raw conversation about our approach to self-care and mental health while we navigate the various roles we play in our personal, parenting, and professional lives. I think of it like sometimes I kind of, in my head, I visualize the physical, mental, and emotional health, and it's almost like a three-legged stool. And when one of those is like out of whack, the whole stool falls over. So what true. is your advice? Because it inevitably happens to all of us. We also look up and, you know, our stool is on the floor, and we're lying there in a daze going, what just happened? Um, What do you recommend on how to both recharge and regain balance when you find yourself in that situation?
4: Yeah, it's the answer I have every time is you just first have to have to notice it. Um, How many times do we catch ourselves like snapping at our family, you know, being impatient or just getting frustrated and then we just, we just keep going. We just keep running the hamster wheel where we're like, we're exhausted, but We don't have time to stop and think about that because there's other things to do. So we just, and we're all on this mission to get there, to this inner peace, right? But we're not stopping and going, what is inner peace to me? What do I need today? So it goes back to what I talked about, which is we need to stop looking at self-care and finding the balance on our three-legged stool as this one big thing that we do. It is a constant glance at that stool going, hmm, that mental health side's a little off. And it's noticing it, asking myself, what do I need to do to get my mental health back? And then you put the the folded up napkin underneath there, whatever that tool is to get it back in balance. And, And I think that that is the mistake that we make is we feel it, we know it. But we keep running the hamster wheel. We don't stop and try new things or ask ourselves what it is we need or say, hey, am I operating under what my values are, which is my family is first, like my fulfillment, life memories, and doing great work with my business, when I look at my day-to-day, and you are doing a bunch of things that don't matter.
1: (laughs) So what steps can we take to recharge and regain balance when we look up and the spools on the floor and we're lying in a daze and we're wondering what just happened?
4: Yeah. Well, it goes back to what I always talk about is it first takes noticing that it's off, right? So often we just operate under this autopilot. We're running this hamster wheel that either we just live in a state of exhaustion and frustration and just don't do anything about it. But it's when you notice that maybe you're having a little less patience with your family or you're not finding joy in the things that you typically find joy in that you actually stop and ask yourself, what do I need? You know, so if I look at the, at the mental health pillar of my stool and I see it's a little wobbly, instead of just going, huh, mental health's a little wobbly, that I actually asked myself, what do I need to do? to stick the little napkin underneath it and give me my balance again? What do I need to do to get there? Is it schedule another call with my therapist? Is it to go on more walks? Is it to talk to my safe space person about what's going on? Is it to talk to my doctor? What is it? And actually doing that. I think it it is the whole thing about finding balance is we just have to stop asking the world for directions on how do we fix this piece of the the stool and and just go – and ask ourselves, what do we need? And if we can't do that, I mean, there's been times where I've been there and I'm like, I don't know what I need. I'm so frustrated. That's why it's so important to have our circle of support around us, the people that know us well, that can maybe help us notice, check in with us, and ask us how, how they can help. Because sometimes we don't have the answers, but I always go to myself first. I always ask myself first. And if I can't find it there, my, my partner, my friend. My therapist whatever I need to do that last
1: question Volta Voloshin Smith is the founder of the business color snack and her mission to watercolor the world can be seen in her work such as custom illustrations and animated gifts brand activations and workshops that she leads for notable brands I asked Volta why we should all make a little time to be creative I'd love to hear your thoughts about the importance of all of us actually making that little time for to be creative and why it's important to have that in our lives, even if you may work in a field where you don't feel that there's a lot of opportunity to quote unquote make art or tr- be creative in traditional ways, but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't shouldn't make that space to have those activities.
5: Yeah, I I think the main thing that attracts me to creativity is that it helps me calm myself. So I I have generalized anxiety and I also sometimes struggle with depression. And I found that doing art, making art helps me get into a more like calmer space. And by doing that, I get to be more creative and have more ideas. So, and even someone who isn't, you know, in the art space, creating art, they could still benefit from doing something creative because it helps them express themselves. It helps you kind of disconnect from your thoughts by focusing on what's in front of you. And then that alone just, you know, brings that sense of calm into your life and also helps you be more creative in, in your day-to-day job. Or like that's that's how I feel like ideas happen is it's it's really hard to think of good ideas when you're stressed out. <laughs> No. So I, I think art making, and it doesn't have to be a visual form of art. I'm, of course, biased towards watercolors. I think they're the best. But I think it's it's a great way to, like, start with something and then try to discover different things and, like, what clicks for you, like, what kind of resonates with you as far as expressing yourself. And I know you've
1: taught students both in person and online in watercolor workshops, and why, you know, when you kind of see that, I guess I think that you see that people are kind of picking up the paintbrush and putting the paint and doing it themselves and that just that wonderful sense of using our hands for something. Because I think you feel like we're so much now on devices that there is something to be said about getting to actually create using our own fingers and thoughts and just making something happen. And I'd love to just kind of hear what you've experienced in watching the you know, people go through that workshop process.
5: Yeah, I honestly, like, that is my favorite part of what I do is – seeing others, you know, they light up because they're like, look, I made this and I thought I couldn't make art or be an artist. And honestly, that's my life goal is to just help as many people as I can to unlock that part of themselves. Because I, I know from my own experience how I felt before I just rediscovered art and how it made me feel afterwards and how it helped me get through some really challenging times in my life. So I just think it's such a great tool in so many ways. It's fun. It's creative. It can help, you know, helps with the mental health aspect. It's just absolutely my favorite part is is seeing people's reactions in the workshops.
1: Our next clip comes from Christine Hortzman, a life and career coach and professional development instructor. Her specialty is emotional intelligence and communication skills. Deal with the Doll, Coaching Yourself Through Crisis is Christine's first book, and comes from the lessons she learned about how to hang on to hope during times of unwanted change and challenges. Parent, in the book, you've been very upfront about your son's learning differences, yeah. and also though that his diagnosis came at the same time that you were recovering from thyroid yeah. cancer and the related health issues. Yeah, and, and he had, I just wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on just that internal battle of that period, and just kind of what you took away from that, and how you've grown from the experience in your parenting. Yeah.
6: I think that's when parenting is really hard, when well, we're always trying to meet our own needs and our kids and our families. But when you're in a crisis, particularly a health crisis, but it could be something else. It could be like you're going through a divorce or you lost your parents or something like that. It can feel very difficult to take care of yourself and give your kids what they need. And some of us, oftentimes, parents sacrifice for their children, right? It's part of what we do, Part of how we're probably hardwired biologically to some degree But there's times where we have to put our own needs first in order to be well enough, functioning enough to do what we need to do as parents. And I think that can be very, very hard. And we have so much subconscious messaging that we've just, like, all the filters, all our lives of what it means to be a good mom or a good dad or a good parent, what it means to be succeeding, you know, whichever label we're looking at. And this is what I worry that some of what our kids struggle with, you know, what it means to be successful in high school. And, and that can be very hard. And I think parent guilt, mom guilt is real. Like I, there's one study and I can't think of off the top of head that I mentioned in, in the book, didn't deal with it at all, where I think it was something ridiculous. Like 80% of moms were saying how they felt guilty all the time. You know, That may not be exactly right, but it was high. It was really high. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really negative, right? That's, constantly telling ourselves some sort of internal message of you're not good enough, you didn't do a good job, you should have, you didn't, you haven't, when are you going to? And energetically, that's very, very draining. And it's part of how we sometimes get ourselves stuck. So I think guilt is real, but we have to really rewire it, and we have to be careful about some of the ways we talk about it in conversation, even sort of jokingly dramatic about things. Because we're feeding a certain messaging that most of us have absorbed. And I've caught myself with graduation looming and this idea of transition of, like, oh, I never did this. And, oh, it's, what if it's the last Easter and I didn't even decorate the house for Easter? <laughs> you know, Like silly, ridiculous things, right? But on some level of this idea of, like, I didn't do it perfect. I wasn't every single possible thing. And so I think it's important to catch ourselves when it happens and just say stop it. And one of the things is that same idea that I was saying before about kind of our eye on the bigger prize. One of the things they'll do in career coaching is, well, who do you want to be known for professionally? And I think that's the question, coaching question I'd ask the parents. What do you want your legacy to be? That every holiday was perfectly decorated, that you were uptight, <laughs> you know, or you want to feel like you had calm, peaceful long weekend with your kid and, and what ultimately is the gift you're trying to give to your kid about who they are and what it means to be, to show up in the world as, you know, as a good, whole person.
1: Leah Frazier is a powerhouse of success whose career has had many chapters. She is the founder of the public relations company, Think3 Media, and the wellness company, Leah Heals. I asked Leah how we could be open to the possible roads our lives could take us.
7: I think even in my practice, As a meditation instructor and even working with my students and clients, the one key indicator or factor that always reveals itself to me is that we don't grant ourselves enough space. You can't figure out what you want to do and you can't figure out what direction you want to go in unless you have space. And I'm not talking about let me clean my room, let me (laughs) feng shui my house. I'm literally talking about creating space for yourself so that you can hear things, so that you can get downloads, clearing your brain so that that creative part of your brain can actually turn some wheels and tell you, like, this is how you make that thing inside of you grow. This is how you make that thing pop. Unfortunately, since we were kiddos born in a capitalistic society, we're always on the hustle and the grind. And with millions of distractions around us a day. And so innately, we don't know this concept of space. And so in order for you to find out what am I really passionate about and how can I figure out how to make that grow or work for me, you have to allow yourself to have space, whether that's I'm gonna sit down for 30 minutes every morning by myself in my little safe space and I'm just gonna write, whatever comes to me. or I'm just going to connect with myself or I just need some stillness or whatever. And at some point in time, you will get very clear on what is it that I'm passionate about? What is it that I like to do? What are some ideas? Where do I need to be? It will start downloading within you. But if, you, if you're distracted all day long and you keep feeding into the distractions, it's not going to come. So you have to honor space, period. Period within yourself, outside of yourself, and that's where all the clarity will come. And put in the work, too, to actually. Put in the work. Yeah. Exactly. Do you have, have to be very intentional. Even if you have to put on your calendar, I am not available. My focus feature on my phone is going to go from this hour to this hour because I'm creating space for myself. Even if it's just to sit in a chair and do absolutely nothing, to your point, yes, you have to be very intentional about it. What is that? Our
1: last clip comes from Andrea Menard, a METE singer, songwriter, actor, speaker, wellness trainer, and the founder of the Sacred Feminine Learning Lodge. Andrea trains women to lead like a goddess and helps all gendered people reclaim and embody the qualities of the Sacred Feminine. Away from the stage and away from the camera, you have this role in feminine leadership. And I would love to just hear how you found
8: that path forward and how that, that became a focus in your work. That's a good question. Thank you. As you know, um, my history, my job, I guess, my career, has been mostly through performance of acting and singing and writing, what I do. And so that was following my spiritual path, that's following my my role here, you know, my purpose. But there was always a part of me that has this teacher inside of me. And so after a while, I started to realize, and I call myself a Métis medicine wheel, uh, because I'm always working with the four... Directions: the four elements, the four bodies. But then I realized, well, of course I wouldn't be just an actor and a singer, or an actor, singer, writer. Oh, I'm an actor, singer, writer, speaker. So there's always this this fourth element of a messenger of some sort, you know. And I lived with that understanding for a while, but there was still something missing. You know, the, the last five years, there's been a huge development of understanding what the center point of that medicine wheel is, and the center point of who I really am. If you were to look at all my career, of everything that comes from me, there seems to be this theme, and I realize that I'm here as a facilitator of the rise of the sacred feminine, and that's a term, you know, a lot of people hear about, there's a rising of the divine feminine, you know, but in, in my indigenous elders, I heard from a gathering of elders back in 2012, there was a gathering and they came up with a message for humanity. And it was there that the late elder Dave Kershane said that there's a rise of the sacred feminine right now. And for me, I had a million pathways converge into one, I finally understood because I'd been listening to people coming out of the lodges and and listening to prophecies, and all sort of saying about the rise of women, this next time is an era of women, or the time of the earth, or all these concepts. But when I heard the rise of the sacred feminine, everything made sense. It's like the rise of the sacred feminine includes everybody. The sacred feminine, the ultimate, penultimate voice of the feminine is the earth. It's the rise of the sacred feminine, and the rise of value for all of these feminine things in life that have been devalued women and devalued children have been devalued elders have been devalued land-based cultures have been devalued the earth herself has been exploited and abused and emotional expression all things feminine are considered weak or messy or embarrassing or less than the masculine so all of that has to come into balance and so when I realized that this was what I was here to do was help balance this, help bring understanding and value to all things feminine, that's when I realized that I was, that's what I'm here to do. And I use singing, I use acting, I use writing, and I use speaking to be that facilitator. I use all those things to help bring balance to the planet. Do you explore this idea that we have traditionally leaned into the masculine energy
1: at the expense Of this sacred feminine wisdom why do you think that has been so devastating to our spirits as a whole not just to women but also to men yeah well
8: i think that the sacred masculine is beautiful it is necessary it is expanding it's focused it's determined it's logical it has creates beautiful structures but when all of those things are created at the expense or ignoring all of the tempering aspects of the sacred feminine. Then true imbalance happens. Then we see, ooh, this isn't good. Because then it turns competitive. There's a lack of compassion. So all the things conquered. Where's the compassion? Where, you know, the, the things get devastated and we conquer our own bodies. We conquer our everything around us. And so, if systems have been created with this lack of compassion and a lack of caring or understanding about consequences, then we have the world we live in today. We have a world that devastates and exploits Mother Earth, that kills and brutalizes women and thinks that's allowed. So, you know, we all know this. But when a society at large behaves in this way, We birth sick people. As my elders would say, we we start practicing backwards ways. Whereas the nurturing aspect of life allows us to sit and listen in stillness. We feel, ooh, when something is unjust. We feel when this is a wrong decision. Your intuition goes, ooh, that policy is not good. No, oh, this, if we build there, that feels wrong, you know, like emotional expression, the feminine intuition of listening to how it feels or listening to what the ancestors say about a decision is lacking. So when you see all these devastating projects, building projects, dam projects, oil industry, you know, all of these projects that seem to be so innovative, they're brutal to the earth and they're brutal to humanity. So If the feminine intuition was allowed into these decision-making processes, there might be a, yeah, that'll kill that entire ecosystem. Is that a good decision? You know, so we are moving into a time where females and actual women leaders are accessing and allowing themselves to access that type of wisdom because the women of old, we had to act like men in order to get to where we wanted to get. What I understand And all of me and all of my sisters who I've noticed, we have used our masculine skills to thrive in this world. And then we all hit a point, boom, where it stopped working. You're not meant to continue this way. My body broke down, my emotional body, other people. I have people in their 40s, my sisters, who had brain tumors, woke up paralyzed, had Lyme disease, who had nervous breakdowns, Who you know? you name it, strokes. All of us stopped in our tracks for whatever reason. And we were being asked by our own spirits to say, you can't continue like you were because you're not supposed to. So find ways that add in your feminine nature, your self-care into these systems because if it's hard for you, imagine how hard it is for your male counterparts, the ones who are not necessarily led by their intuition. So what if you were the teachers of that? And that's not even including what the teachers of our two-spirited transgender non-binary teachers have to say. That's just the straight-out cisgendered, you know, teachers at the moment.
1: We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. Sign up for our newsletter, link in the show notes, so you'll know when Season 2 launches. And thank you to all our wonderful guests who came on the show for season one. We will close out with our theme song by Smith Sisters and the Sunday drivers. Till next time, this is Aaron Prather Stafford
0: She is sure, She is sure, He is strong, He is strong. She is true. She